Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Uh, our thanks to Braden Point for ending overtime before we started recording and uh, therefore ending the Lightning versus Blue Jackets series, which, again, stinks for the Jackets. Uh, five overtime game, valiant elimination of the Maple Leafs in the first round. Any team that sends the city of Toronto into a psychological spiral over a playoff result deserves our, our love and adoration. Um, but at the same time, it would have been really awkward to do this show as the Lightning and Jackets were embarking on like a six-overtime game. It would have been a little weird. Yeah, a little weird because I would not want to hear your live reaction uh, for a goal. Well, that would have been exciting. It's I would be more worried about my live reaction for the continued parade of penalties not called on the Columbus Blue Jackets mm, in this game. Mm, I'm, I, listen, it's a settled matter. The series is done. But I got to tell you right now, if Pierre-Luc Dubois knew that he could just take a metal pipe and smash Braden Point in the back of the head with it before he shot that puck and would not have been whistled for it based on the available evidence in this series, I mean, he probably should have done it, right? Like, he probably should have just done it, and they'd still be playing. That's all I'm saying. All right, coming up on this edition of ESPN and Ice, (laughs) we've got two awesome guests. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau from the victorious Vegas Golden Knights as they advance to the uh, semifinals in the Western Conference after knocking out Chicago. He joins us, and, a, and then a really fun guest, Damian Woody, former NFL player, current ESPN analyst, huge New York Islanders fan, to talk about the Isles, his uh, burgeoning love of hockey, and, uh, and uh, also a professional athlete's opinion on bubble life. Oh, and also whether Bill Belichick could win a Stanley Cup. I think that's pertinent to your interests out there. All right, all that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And we begin the podcast this week with some quarterfinal superlatives. As you know, Emily has been covering the Eastern Conference. I've been on the Western Conference. And we have five categories that we're going to fill. Keeping in mind, this is a podcast. We are recording it on a Wednesday. Many series may have ended by the time you hear this. Many more may end, you know, after you hear it. The bottom line is that there's no good time to do a podcast when there's hockey from like dawn to dusk every day. So we're doing our best. We got to do it. We got to do it when we can do it. Exactly. What has been your biggest positive surprise in the Eastern Conference playoffs? So the second that I saw the ESPN predictions come out for this first round, I cringed because I saw all of us picked the Carolina Hurricanes to advance. (laughs) And I'm like... Damn it, we're all idiots. We're sleeping on the Boston Bruins. And sure enough, the Bruins, who slept walk through the round robin, have been fantastic in this next round. And again, we're recording this when the series is just 3-1. But they have woken up. They look like themselves. And more importantly, I think the way they handled the Tuka Rask situation should be a model for everyone because it was very clear Tuka was dealing with something much bigger than hockey, um, much bigger than this tournament at home. And the way that they stood behind him as a team, excused his absence and said, we'll support him no matter what, I think was really admirable. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll talk about Tuka a little bit later on as well. Uh, For me in the West, the biggest surprise on the positive tip 
how good the Dallas Calgary series has been. Man, I wrote yeah. that thing off as being the one that should be on like the golf channel, right? Like when NBC is trying to figure out where to stick these series. And I got to tell okay, you, well, like it, the Blues Canucks has pretty much been on the golf channel because that's at ten thirty p.m. <laughs> Central every night. <laughs> that true. This series, though, with Dallas and Calgary, you know, would have been even more fun had Matthew Kachuk not gotten hurt, unfortunately. Uh, but as it stands, g- good offensive series, tightly played games. Like, it's been fun to see these two teams go at it. Uh, you know, maybe you want a little bit more of a counterpunch from Calgary. Hopefully that comes in the next couple of games. Uh, but uh, but Dallas is, is certain to, starting to round into form. And, and uh, it's been, well, a, a punching above its weight series for me, for sure. All right, my biggest surprise negative. I want to say that Kane's third period collapse in game four just because it was so uncharacteristic of them. They're such a high-character team, and it was just tough to watch. As, as amazing as the Bruins were, it was really cringy for the Kane's perspective. But the biggest disappointment is that this Blue Jackets-Tampa Bay series is not going seven games because <laughs> I think everyone, after we saw that five-overtime game, was like, inject this series into my veins. I'll take this for <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This is awesome. Um, and it is. But it was very apparent that the Blue Jackets, who have played, entering this game today on Wednesday, 100 more minutes of hockey than any other team in this tournament, uh, just ran out of steam. And the Lightning were able to finish them off. They certainly were. Uh, I'll go with a collapse. How about the Arizona Coyotes in Game 4 against the Colorado Avalanche? 7-1 seven, seven final, uh, I believe, if memory serves. Uh, a, as, as Coach Rick Tockett said, a debacle. Uh, an absolute debacle from his team. This was an Arizona team that certainly was getting rolled in the first couple games, managed to squeak out a victory to make it 2-1 thanks to Darcy Kemper's heroics, and then just the wheels came off in that game. As we do the podcast, very you know, still a chance that the Coyotes could still be in this tournament. Who's to say? It probably means that you know Kemper or Ranta made you know a billion saves, but that game itself, where you have a chance to really get back into the series and just absolutely get stomped uh was my biggest uh surprise negative because i just even when the coyotes lose a game you don't expect them to lose a game like that and they just look disinterested as as Tockett inferred maybe some guys don't want to be in the bubble anymore i almost felt like the avalanche were just so pissed by the way the avalanche uh, the coyotes played the previous game which was let's get the first goal and then put all five of our players in front of darcy <laughs> kemper so you can't even see the net and the Avalanche are like, this isn't hockey. This isn't cool. Like, we're going to beat you guys up. Um, yeah. All right. My MVP so far of this next round, it's a guy that we just don't talk about enough, and he's so good. It's Brad Marchand. Like, mm. they, this guy and his line mates got eviscerated in the first round. They went scoreless. They don't want to be there. They don't look like themselves. And he's without David Pasternak for three games in a row. And what does he do? Three goals, seven points in four games, has just carried the load offensively. He looks as sharp as ever. And I just want to give him due credit because I feel like anytime we mention Brad Marchand, it's always about his antics on the ice, but he's a damn good hockey player, offensively and defensively too. Absolutely. And, uh, and, but still a rat. Um, MVP for me. <laughs> he hasn't Ryan spit on anyone yet. Well, he can't. In COVID world, Emily. My God. Do you imagine fair, this? Fair, a 10 fair, game fair. suspension. Uh, MVP for me is uh, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, that his performance in that series against Vancouver so far in, on both ends of the ice has been incredible. Um, just absolutely cratering whoever he's playing against from a possession standpoint, getting offensive production. 
basically decided in game three, uh, yeah, this is going to be a series again and put it on his shoulders to do so. Uh, they don't have Tarasenko. Uh, they were reeling after the first two games. People, you know, rightfully asking, you know, are they a little bit slow? Can they catch up to these quick little Vancouver forwards? And uh, and O'Reilly just says that's enough and, and and puts the hammer down and really got the Blues back on track. If they if they start being the steamroller again, it's going to be because of the way Ryan O'Reilly played in games three and four, those back to back games. Least most valuable player and look. I hate picking on him or this team because, frankly, they've got no business being here. But it's Brendan Gallagher of the Montreal Canadiens who leads the tournament with shots but cannot get a goal. And if this team is going to win, they need some offense. And I was actually kind of excited to see what Kirk Muller could do behind the bench because he is an offensive-minded coach. He was going to let these players play a bit. He wasn't going to bury Max Domi on the fourth line. And we saw what they had in that first game. Um, but they have just been lifeless on offense. And look, the uh, Flyers haven't been much better either. This has definitely been a defensive battle. But they need to score goals or they're out of the tournament. And by the time you listen to this, they probably will be. Boring. It's a huge, boring series, and I hate it. Um, le- least valuable player for me, Jordan Bennington of the Blues. I, I don't like doubling mm. up in this category, but my God, man. Like, 0-4 in the tournament gets replaced by Jake Allen. Uh, you know, this is a guy who made his bones last year being a playoff hero, being the guy that you need to bounce back from a defeat. Took a couple L's in this series, lost the crease, did not come back with him in the second part of a back-to-back. So, I mean, until proven otherwise, it's going to be Jake Allen's crease. Uh, still contributed around. He's, you know, proved, proven playoff performer after what he did last year. My God, you can't take away a Game 7 on-the-road victory for the Stanley Cup away from anybody. Uh, but uh, but his performance in this playoff for the Blues was uh, troubling in the round robin and then concerning in the uh, quarterfinals, and then he's on the bench. Finally, favorite bubble trend or moment so far over in the Eastern Conference for you? All right, I'm going back to the boring series. Uh, I am writing a feature on Carter Hart right now, and I am just fascinated by this kid. And the way he bounced back um, from getting blown out in one game to posting back-to-back shutouts was incredible. But my favorite moment was this quote from Jacob Voracek, which I just think is a beautiful quote. It's a good thing he's a little too oblivious to some things, like being a goalie in Philadelphia. That is just beautiful. (laughs) That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, For me, my favorite thing, I wrote about it this week, the weird nickname of Joe Pavelski in Dallas. Uh, John Klingberg spotted wearing a T-shirt, because thank you, relaxed (laughs) dress code, that featured Joe Pavelski's face photoshopped onto the body of Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Uh, We come to find out it's because Rupe Hints wore a tiger print shirt to Dallas training camp one day, or to Dallas practice one day. Pavelski mocked him mercifully for this. Somebody suggested putting Pavelski's face on Joe Exotic's body. The Dallas because Stars. His name is Joe. Yeah, because his name is Joe, and he's making fun okay. of the tiger thing. The Dallas Stars PR staff sent makes the shirt, sends it to the Edmonton Hub. Klingberg sees it, says, "I gotta wear this," and then now uh, uh, the guy known as Little Joe Pavs and uh, the big big Pavelski in San Jose is now known as Joe Exotic in the Dallas Stars locker room. I love weird hockey stories, and uh, the bubble is giving us more than our fair share. Um, That's a good team, man. 
That's a, that's a team, team that's tight. There, I'm changing my cup pick. Stars all the way. Uh-oh. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm not changing my pick in the West. It started as the Golden Knights of Vegas, and it re- continues to be the Golden Knights of Vegas. And now joining right, us. Mine was Avalanche. Talk- I feel pretty good. I feel pretty yeah. good. <laughs> you feel pretty good, yeah. Joining us to talk about the Golden Knights of Vegas is Jonathan Marcheseau. Uh, joining us now on the line, a member of the first team to advance to the conference semifinals, the Vegas Golden Knights, Jonathan Marcheseau joins us here on the line and, and Jonathan first off congrats on the on the victory over the Blackhawks uh solving Corey Crawford was tough huh that guy played pretty well in the last two games of that series yeah honestly he played uh, unbelievable uh he was uh definitely uh on top of his game and um it was actually nice to see him there because I know he's been uh, struggling with some injuries uh in the prior years but it was nice to see how uh, how good he was in the past few games there Jonathan, I want to ask you about your guys' goalie situation, and specifically Marc-Andre Fleury, because as long as you guys have existed as a team, he's been carrying you. He's been the face of the net. But uh, you went out and got Robin Lehner, and he's been such a great addition, and it's put Marc-Andre Fleury on the bench. How, have, how has Mark handled this situation? What have you guys seen behind the scenes? Well, obviously I'm really good friends with Mark, and so uh, I'm a big fan of him as well. Uh, but, I mean... Um... I mean, we have a situation where we have 1A, 1B. So it's, uh, I mean, right now, Lenny's doing super well, and it uh, hopefully keeps going that way. And I think uh, Flower's a great teammate, too. I think he's happy to be here, and he'll, uh, he'll, uh, he'll do whatever it takes to, to make sure our team is successful, and he's, uh, he's a great teammate. So uh, uh, obviously, it must be a hard situation for him right now, but uh, like I said, he's He's a great guy, a great teammate, and he he, he doesn't put the, any attention towards the, towards that necessarily. And uh, he keeps he, every day he keeps uh, practicing uh, one of the hardest guys on the ice still. So it's uh, it's all in his honor, and uh, I'm not necessarily worried about the Marquez's future. In the short time that the Vegas Golden Knights have existed, I feel like you guys have a certain identity in the way that you play. I mean, you and Riley Stone Carlson. All these guys are just, you're all 200-foot players. Like, you're all great offensively, but then you also take care of your business in the defensive zone. Do you think that's sort of become the identity of the Knights, even even through the coaching change? Uh, I believe so. I believe that we have a lot of guys that uh, take a lot of pride of being good uh, uh, being good defensively. And I know, I, and I know from experience a little bit that uh, when we're good as a team, uh, with the Knights, when we're good defensively, we normally get awarded offensively. So uh, it's just our mindset since the beginning, and uh, we're just trying to play a north-south game, uh, exit a really quick out for D zone, and uh, in the O zone, like he, uh, our coach gives us a lot of liberty of uh, just going with our hockey instincts. So it's uh, so it's it, it's been uh, it's been going well. Greg and I were just watching that Columbus-Tampa Bay game, and we were commenting on the officiating, and we were commenting <laughs> on during this postseason, it just feels like it's been really inconsistent. I'm curious, do you have that same thought as a guy on the ice? Uh, honestly, uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, yesterday, I, I know it was like a 3-3 game, or even when it was 4-3, but there's like, just like, some easy call to make like even if it would happen towards my team I would be like well that's a call you know it's just the way hockey is you know you got to play fair and everything and uh, I feel like they've been uh, letting go a lot of stuff and uh, maybe they want a little bit more uh, 
uh, little bit more play uh, five on five, which is uh, which is fine as well. And uh, uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, uh, definitely yesterday could have uh, if it could have helped us. But I mean, uh, we managed to get the win um, um, uh, despite the adversity we were facing. I'm curious about that. Are you more of a let the boys play in the playoffs guy, or are you more of a call it like you call it in the regular season kind of guy? Well, not necessarily regular season. Obviously, we, you're going to allow a little bit more like scrum stuff and a little like uh, one-on-one battles and like stuff like that, like I think in the playoffs. But I mean, at the end of the day, like when there's a tripping call, a boarding call, a cross check or something, like, this is just one on one, like uh, two minutes, you know. So it's, uh, it's just. Uh, I feel like uh, uh, yesterday there could have been a little bit more call on them, but either way, like we uh, we got the win. All right, let me ask you about life in the bubble for a second. I believe you are on the fun committee. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that you've got some time between now and the next series like as as an officer in the fun committee uh what do you have planned and 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 are you guys kind of the the three of you figuring out what to do for the rest of these guys or is it more of a democracy where the players can kind of be come to the fun committee and say hey we'd like to do this yeah i mean this uh oh we're we're all open-minded it's it's mostly Nate Schmidt's pretty much uh, the the president of the of that comedy. He, he comes in with ideas, and I think the things that we like the most right now, like we've done the the ping pong tournament, we've done the Mario Kart tournament, the poker tournament. Uh, but I think the thing that we like the most right now it's like uh, ordering uh, catering food, uh, all the team, and uh, like around six 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 thirty, and there's a hockey game always in the background. And uh, seven o'clock, it's uh, it's movie night. So we have popcorn. We have like those uh, salt and vinegar uh, seasoning and ketchup and cheddar and all that stuff. And uh, and uh, the the hotel, uh, they do a great job to set up all the, the couches like in line, like a, almost like a movie theater. And it's on. <laughs> honestly, it's uh, it's uh, it's cool stuff. So I think uh, right now we're uh, we're down to two of them, but I. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, more of those, and then maybe tomorrow. I think we're going to we're going to golf, but I don't know if uh, that's uh, still a goal or not. If we're allowed or not, and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay, because the NHL uh, promised us like a few stuff at the beginning of uh, all the negotiations, but now they're just uh, taking a couple stuff away. So mm. <laughs> interesting. The way it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you about that. It's like, you know, you're two, three weeks in now and you guys were told that you can go on these excursions. As much fun as these movie nights are and ping pong tournaments and Mario Kart, are you just dying to see like grass or, or scenery <laughs> that's not from your hotel to the rink, hotel to the rink? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we did. Uh, well, as the, the, the first week we were there, we were going to practice rink. So we were getting the bus and we we're like 30 minutes away. So when I was as bad as it sounds, it was kind of nice because that was the only stuff we could have done because at first they were telling us, oh, the first, uh, when you're going to come to the bubble, you'll be able to play golf, you'll be able to do excursions and stuff like that. And after they say, well, no, you can get out of the bubble for 14 days. So we're like, well, are you kidding me? Like, what else do we have to do? So we were literally just <laughs> in our bubble doing nothing. But uh, the past, like, we've been... Uh, 
uh, once, uh, twice at the at the football field, and uh, we're mm. like, we played like uh, kickball. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and we played like for an hour and a half. We were like thirteen against thirteen. Like trainers were involved, and all the and everybody was involved. <laughs> it was so much. It was honestly one of the best days in the bubble that we had for sure. This is interesting because like. How 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 hard is it for you? Like, obviously, you want to you want them you want to do them the to things do the thing. that they said they're going to do for you, right? Like, you know, golf excursions, that whole thing. At the same time, like, we've not had any positive tests for like three or four weeks now in this thing. So, how do you strike the balance of being like, hey, let us out to play golf, while at the same time being like, at the you know, maybe you guys have kind of figured out what we need to do to keep the, the bubble tight. Yeah, obviously, we got to be safe with everything. Uh... And I think they're doing a good job for that. Uh, but uh, at the same time, like, we didn't know what was the measurement going to be taking for us right. to go on a golf course or us to go on an excursion. But, like, if you're, in my mind, if, you, if you're if you saying it, like, just make sure everything is planned, you know? Like, we were expecting everybody's like, oh, it's okay. A week earlier, we're all going to ship our golf clubs to Edmonton. And they'll be there. And after two days after, like, well, no, we can't play for 14 days. Right. And after, well, after the 14 games, we're in the middle of the playoffs. So right now we're not like really like golf focused. We're more hockey focused right now. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we're here to win games. And uh, But overall, I mean, the NHL has been doing a good job. Like uh, like, uh, like you said, there's no positive cases. I mean, uh, everybody feels safe. Like it's uh, honestly the hotel, the setups with the restaurants and everything is like, Super well organized. The testing goes super smoothly every day. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's well organized, also. Yeah, right. Yeah. Last one for me, Jonathan. You know, another thing that's still up in the air, um, but it does sound like it's going to happen, is players' families being able to join for the conference finals after you know a quarantine protocol. And I know the NHLPA is now going to teams asking how many would be interested. And you know, you're a dad, and, and you've got a family at home. Firstly. Are you expecting for your family to come amongst your teammates? Do you think that a lot of guys want their families to come or they're like, you know what, there's not much to do here. I don't know why you should come anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, I've had I've had all position at that, at that point. Uh, <laughs> at first, I was like, all right, it won't be too bad. It's going to be like 30-something days without seeing my family and they'll come to meet me if we happen to pass the second round. Well, now the NHL is telling us that they have, first of all, they have to quarantine for a week uh, at home. After they got to, during that, that span, they got to get tested three times uh, during that week and have three negative tests, obviously. And after they got to fly private. So our team were fortunate enough that our owner is unbelievable and our team takes such good care of us that they will provide flights for our families. Um, but after you got to ask, uh, all my four kids, uh, under six years old to stay in the hotel room for four days. Hmm. I mean, well, it's just with you. Like it's, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, at some point, like it's, a, it's, it's not a suite that they have. It's not like something unbelievable and that amazing setup. It's a two bed, uh, two bed, uh, room. And that's about it. And you, you're asking my wife to stay like four, uh, uh, with four kids in there for four days. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't think it's realistic, really. So yeah. it's, uh, right now, right now, I know that a lot of the, our guys on our team with families and stuff, we're like, we're waiting to see what's really going to happen and we'll 
cross the bridge when we get there. But uh, I know personally my wife is leaving from, like, not coming right now. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, last one for me, yeah. uh, real quick. Uh, you guys have such a unique home ice advantage. I wrote about on, on ESPN today the the fact that these games are happening with no fans in the stands and what that means for the hockey. How hard do you think it was for you and the boys to get your heads around not having that Vegas arena experience, let's call it, <laughs> when you're playing these games in the bubble? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard. Like, uh, We're definitely missing them right now. Uh, I mean... It felt like uh, an eternity right now. Uh, last time I played at the Fortress, but uh, no, I mean it's. Uh, I mean, as as much as we uh, everybody wants to like say something about it or whatever, like it's the it's just the life we're living in right now. It's not gonna be like it, like for for ten years or something like that. It's just uh, what we're living in right now. It's a, it's a new life, and everybody needs to adapt. And uh, right now, like we're. Uh, we gotta still make our earnings, so we gotta we come here and uh, and uh, we're I know our, my my team we're really in for the good reason we're 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 just here for uh, for for winning purposes. So we're just focusing on that and uh, we're fueling off uh, uh, the uh, the energy of uh, possibly one day put uh, our name on this Stanley Cup, and that's what we're focusing on. But obviously, it's it's hard sometimes to get energy. Uh, energy like um when there's no crowd and everything but at the end of the day it's uh it's it's adversity that all teams have to face awesome well jonathan thank you so much for your time we wish you the best of luck at this tournament and go enjoy that downtime you earned it yeah thank you so much have a good day guys all right thanks to jonathan marsh so talking about all things vegas golden knights including of course the exalted fun committee um which is sounding more and more like a dictatorship uh, uh, with Nate Schmidt at the top of the pyramid, but we'll see what happens there. Um, wrote about this this week, as I mentioned in the interview, the story of playing all these games in a vacuum with no fans in the stands, uh, kind of born out of two things. One we'll talk about now, one we'll talk about in a second. The first is the idea that when teams score critical goals at critical times in the game, they're not getting the same lift and sustained lift that they would get if the games were being played with fans in the stands. And I found this to be really fascinating. Tanner Pearson talked about this uh, in game two of the Vancouver-St. Louis series where the Blues tie the game really late. Uh, and then Vancouver wins in overtime. And Pearson's theory was, well, if this was in St. Louis then uh, game's completely different because the Blues carry that momentum from scoring late into overtime. And Barry Trotz kind of talked about this too, the idea of what's missing with the fans not being there isn't necessarily that instant gratification that you get when there's a goal scored or a big hit or anything like that. You're still getting that from the reaction from the bench and from the, the, the players on the ice, the whole thing. What you're missing is the way that a crowd can kind of carry that emotion and build on that emotion. And, and now you're getting what's quote-unquote momentum during a game. So I found that to be a really interesting observation um, insofar as what they're not getting from fans inside the bubble. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. And I, I don't know if we're going to dovetail into Tuca from this, but his comments I felt like really set off um, – they set people off. They, like, it, was, it almost was – insulting to people because I feel like everyone's company line is the NHL has done such a good job with this tournament. It's been great. You know, we're so glad to be playing hockey. Um, but it's something that just 
frankly, as well of a tournament that you can put on can't be replicated. And it is missing. Like we get it from home from the synthetic ground noise, but they're not getting it in the arena. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, yeah, you're right. It feels it feels sort of normal for us and maybe a little bit more abnormal for them. The, a couple things in that story that I found really interesting. One, uh, the fact that there's a guy <laughs> who's a huge Islanders fan that this Saturday, I think, is when it's going to be, according to his uh, text to me this morning, is uh, did a GoFundMe to rent a plane and a banner to fly Let's Go Islanders with four exclamation points for all four cups above Wait, the city here, of Toronto. Is he our guest next? <laughs> no. uh, the whole thing is that I find interesting is, is you know, he put the GoFundMe up. He pooled the money together. They're going to fly the plane. So it's like putting the support through the bubble to your team in any way necessary. Some teams have taken out billboards. They do the flying plane thing. Very smart. The other thing I found interesting was the idea that certain players on these teams now have to become vocal in ways that they haven't before. Rick Tockett talked about that in particular with the Arizona Coyotes. The fact that when the bench has to be your cheering section because there are no fans in the stands, you get players that otherwise are pretty quiet and reserved uh, that all of a sudden now have to come out of their shelves, uh, shells and be a bit more boisterous. And, uh, and I thought that was a really fascinating thing. And in a way, it, it almost helps chemistry too to have everybody kind of like, you know, be a be a be the dugout in a softball game, if you will, as as a guy who used to cover prep sports, uh, you know, and keep the energy up during the game. Is fanless hockey and players on the bench needing to be more vocal going to carry the NHL into the next century of personality forward? My column. Oh, if only uh, you bought yeah, Tuka, and that and that was the other thing that was sort of a catalyst for the story was his comments before he left the bubble about how it felt dull and like an exhibition game, and everything else. I mean. You mentioned it before. I'm, it bothered me to no end to see anybody criticizing this guy because I thought we all had an agreement before all this stuff started that if somebody didn't want to take part in it, then they don't take part in it. And that's fine because they're being forced to go to a place, be away from their family, uh, get tested every day, you know, in a pandemic. And like we were all I thought we all agreed. It's fine if you don't want to go, you know, we'll just come back next year. And in Tuca's case, not only – he made the effort to try to make it happen. Like, he, his heart's not into it. He's, he's, he's missing his family. He's got situations with his family. He's trying to make it work for the Bruins. And then he does a, a second noble thing besides going to the bubble in the first place, which is to say, I'm not going to help you guys if I'm here. That's, that, is, that is a level of maturity that you don't see from players, from these idiots that – don't disclose injuries and play through pain and, and whatever and end up hurting their team more than helping them because of quote-unquote hockey culture. And so it was inspiring to see the Bruins on the record supporting the guy. I hope that's the case behind the scenes too uh, because I think it takes a lot of courage to be like, I, I need to A, do this for my family and B, do this for the benefit of my teammates who I tried to help. Yeah, and the only other thing I would add to that is, firstly, if you're anyone who ever tweets Bell Let's Talk or, or even hints at mental health and you criticize Tuca, there's something very deeply wrong with you because if you're someone who's ever experienced any type of mental health issue, you understand that it can come and go and whatever. No one knew what the bubble experience was going to be like for them. Players had an opt-out deadline in July. 
That was before they got there. That's before they knew what it was like to be in that hotel room, to have to make those phone calls back home, to have to get that call from your wife being like, hey, our daughter is very sick right now. We need help. Um, And so the fact that he was able to leave um, and, and extract himself from the situation, like you said, it should be the same thing that went in July as goes in August. Nobody knew how it was going to be for them, and we should just respect his decision. Indeed. All right, someone who we respect a lot and uh, is loving the hockey playoffs right now, it's our next guest, Damian Rudy. And now joining us on the line is a two-time Super Bowl champion and ESPN NFL analyst, Damian Woody. Now, Dame, we wanted to have you on the show because I have been loving your Islanders tweets this entire postseason. And I got to ask you, how did you become a hockey fan and specifically an Islanders fan? Yeah. So last year, man, I, um, so I, you know, I just tweeted, I was, I was talking about how bad this, the New York sports scene was um, because all the teams, the Jets, the Giants, the Knicks, like everybody just sucked. And then I got this tweet from the New York Islanders like, hey, over here, we're we're actually one of the good teams in the area. And then, like, all of the Islanders fans like, hey, D. Wood, man, you got to follow the Islanders. They're, they're, they're rocking. And so we just started communicating back and forth. And then it turned into something really special where, um, they, you know, they invited me to come check out a game. And um, I said, well, let's let's take it up another notch. Let's invite, you know, fans and just have a really good time in like a suite or something like that. And that's what they did. And it just turned one thing turned into another. And it was just a great experience. And then next thing I knew, you know, my family and I, we were hooked. And we went to several um, Islanders games last year. And uh, it's just been a great ride. Hold on a second. Wait a second. So the Islanders reach out to you and they're like, hey, over here, we're good. And you're like, hey, that's awesome. Thanks for reaching out to me. They're like, hey, why don't we have you come to a game? And then you leverage that into a suite? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, cause they were like, because, you know, I, it, I know it's just crazy. But, like, all the Islanders fans was like, Wood, you got to check out the Islanders. They're not like all these other teams around here that stink. They're actually really good. And so we just started communicating and we just said, let's throw, let's throw a little spin on it. Let's get fans involved. And what I did was I did something on Instagram where I picked random fans um, on, through Instagram. And, and the Islanders set it up where they had the sweet force. We all met up. We had a good time, did autographs. You know, it was just really fun, man. It was a really fun night. I think it was a game we played the, the, the Islanders played the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, um, it was just great, man. My kids and everyone had a great time, and I, I was hooked from that point. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and here's the thing that a lot of hockey fans always preach, and you probably know it better than anybody now, is that you know watching it on TV, that's one thing, but then you get inside the arena and you finally catch a game inside the arena. It's a completely different experience, and it's an addicting experience, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I love watching on, on TV. Um, but you're right. Once you're in the, in the arena and you feel the energy, and most importantly, um, the speed of the game. I think that's what really got me was watching these guys on the ice just slamming against each other and how graceful they were on the ice. It's very, um, it's very mesmerizing because, to me, that's what sports is all about. I want something high-energy, fast pace, and that feeds right, you know, right into hockey. Hmm. I'm really curious your perspective on this. Um, you know, I used to cover football, so I always am comparing the two sports. But from your perspective as a former athlete, 
What are some things that you notice when you're watching hockey games that you're like, that would not fly on a football field? Well, obviously the fighting. <laughs> you know, like last night <laughs> when I'm watching when I'm watching the, the Isles Cap, you know, Capitals game. I mean, you could clearly see, you know, it was an elimination game, and the Capitals were throwing their weight around trying to intimidate the Isles. And there were so many scrums and fights and like you know fights like that that could never happen in football. You know, mm. you can't get away with that in football. Obviously, football is a very you know it's a contact sport, but as far as fisticuffs. You could never do it, but in, but in hockey, it's great to watch, and, and my kids love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, football is more you just grab each other's face masks for a few seconds, you know. Right, exactly. not, a whole, not a whole lot of fighting in football. No, um, no, you can't do that, and I always said that it's just, you know, it wastes too much energy. I don't have time to fight you. I've got to worry about the next play. Yeah. You know what's interesting about the football-hockey comparison is that I think that both sports in the last maybe 15 years – have kind of gone under a transformation about the way hits are applied. Like everybody knows with the with concussion awareness what's happened to like what free safeties used to do in the NFL versus what free safeties do now. Same thing in hockey where there used to be a lot of contact with the head and that kind of thing. It seems like both both sports pre- the predominant uh, contact sports in North America probably have trended in the same direction as far as the violence goes. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, now the whole the whole term, you know, whole term is player safety. And uh, when you're involved in these, you know, violent sports, you know, both football and, and hockey, um, you know, we've seen the damage where, you know, a lot of these guys, not when necessarily when they lead a game, it's 10, 15, 20 years down the road. That's when they mm-hmm. feel the residual effects of playing a violent sport like that. And, and um, so for me, I got to applaud, you know, both leagues for, you know, looking at the data, listening to the players and trying to, you know, trying to fine tune a game enough where the play, you can try to create a, a, a healthy environment where these guys can thrive, knowing that it's still a contact sport. You know, you still got to get after it. So two years ago, Damien, Jalen Ramsey upset every single person in hockey when he told our friend Mina Kimes that if you just give him six months, he can make the NHL. And everyone in hockey is like, absolutely not. That's absurd. But there is something to it where, you know, yeah, that's typical Jalen Ramsey. I'm curious, though, is there any player in the NFL that you feel like would do really well at hockey if maybe a little more than six months of training, but they actually put their uh, head, mind, and body to it? You know, that's a good, that's a really good question. I wouldn't say it wouldn't be any type of lineman. You know, it's too big. I don't think there'd be, you know, we would be coordinated enough to do something like that. I'd love um, to see you as a net front presence, though. Yes. Hey, let me, let me, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. If I was, if I were playing, there's one player that, you know, especially in this series, in this Caps Isle series, Tom Wilson. Now, he seems like a goon out there on the ice. Like, he likes throwing himself around. That would be my role. I'm throwing somebody around. I'm not worrying about goals or anything, but I'm definitely throwing my weight around. Uh, so you'd be, you'd be light some suspension money here and there is what you're trying to say. That's Tom Wilson's lot in life, man. That guy gets suspended here and there. Yeah, um, yeah but you know what? Somebody will pay. Somebody will help pay the fines. There somebody you go. Exactly. Exactly. The owner should help. The, you're you're That's, just doing hey, There you go. You're trying to let him win. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> let me get let me get so let me get your sense on this. So as a, as the next player, um, you know, the the NHL has been praised up and down about how they've been able to restart their season. They they put the, the the teams in the two bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto. 
all the tests that were coming back negative for COVID. Um, but there's also this sort of concern of like, these guys are going to be stuck in a hotel room for, you know, two, two and a half months away from family, away from friends, you know, kind of going through the motions. If you were going to put yourself in their shoes as an athlete, I mean, would you be able to handle an environment like that uh, if it meant being in the playoffs and playing on, or, or would, would you get too stir-crazy? No, I could handle it. Listen, I mean, there's been situations before, you know, back in the day in football, training camp used to be two, two months. Mm. Before you played a single game, training camp used to be two months. So, listen, you're talking about the opportunity to play for, play for the Cup. Mm-hmm. If you can't, you know, as a professional – if you can't put yourself in a position where you say, you know what, it's only for this amount of time, I'm playing for a world championship, then w- what are you playing for? Like, yeah. what is this really all about for you? So, to me, it's a, it's a necessary sacrifice. It's a great sacrifice. I applaud all those guys for, you know, putting themselves in a position to say, you know what, this is not going to be the norm from here on out. It's the, this, is a, this is an unprecedented season. This is an unprecedented time. Suck it up and play for the cup. Yeah. All right, Damien. Well, we had you on because you are an Islanders fan. We haven't asked you any Islanders questions yet. So I'm curious, what do you think about this year's squad? What guys have really impressed you? What do you think this team's weaknesses are, strengths? Like, what's your general impressions of them? Well, listen, I, I think the, the team <clears throat> the team reflects his, his coach and Barry Trotz. I think he's, mm. you know, he's a, a disciplined guy, defensive, you know, defensive-minded coach. Um, and that's what you see out of the Islanders. They're a very defensive-minded type of team. They don't have a, you know, bunch. They don't have a bunch of superstars, but they play really well together as a team. And you know, I thought just watching the game yesterday, <clears throat> you know, elimination games are hard. You know, teams are going to come out and get their best effort, and that's, you know, what we saw in the Capitals yesterday. You know, the Isles jumped out two nothing. You know, Joe and Barzal, you know, came out. Boom, we were on the board. We were on the boards quick. And then the, the Capitals just clawed their way back. You know, I think they're the second highest scoring team in the league, you know, in the regular season. So they just clawed their way back. They got some really good players and they try to intimidate the out. You know, they eventually came away with the game. But I'm pretty sure those guys are going to bounce back and and, uh, and and finish this deal in, in, in game, what is it, game five. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to understand this connection with you and the Islanders now. The more I think about it, they got Matt Martin. They got Clutterbuck. They got guys guys that throw the body around. Makes a lot of sense. A football guy would be attracted to the Islanders, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I just think that, you know, when I watch them, they do they do things the right way. You know, they play defense. You know, defense translates into any it doesn't matter what sport it is, defense travels. So, you know, I know they're playing in the um in the bubble, the two bubbles, but if you're playing defense, it's gonna give you an opportunity every time. You know, the crazy thing when watching the Islanders play is they play better five on five than in, in the, um, you know, power play. Mm. You know, when they get when they have an advantage, it's, it, it doesn't seem to work in their advantage. But when they're five on five, that's really when they've been killing the capital. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's something that they got to work on. But, you know, it's been fun watching the Islanders play play hockey. Yeah. Winning series. All right. Last one for me, too. I got I got to know because because, you know, him, you played for him. Could Belichick win a Stanley Cup if he was behind an NHL bench? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, we're talking about, and that's not a knock on any coach in, in, in you know, in hockey, but we're right. talking about one of the greatest strategists 
in any sport. You know, just playing playing under Coach Belichick for four years, he taught me more about the game of football than anybody I've ever been around. He's a he's a historian. He he he's knowledgeable about all sports. And if you gave him the opportunity to really you know learn a sport, I don't know how much he knows about hockey like that. Mm-hmm. But if he really knew and studied and had the background, oh yeah, Coach Belichick could definitely win the win the cup multiple times in in the NHL. Multiple times, not just once. I love it. Multiple, yes, yes. He has, <laughs> he, he's that type of guy. There you go. All right, Damian Woody, thank you for supporting the Islanders. They need support. I know that they'll you know, most likely give you some kind of ceremony when they open up the new arena or at least another suite. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and uh, tell the people where they can find your stuff, man. Yeah, man. So it, people can find me on Twitter at Damian Woody. Um, on all of my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Damian Woody. I'm always talking about hockey, when, when, especially when the Islanders are on. Awesome. Damian, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. And uh, keep supporting uh, the NHL, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Our thanks to Damian Woody for joining us. It was a fun conversation. A uh, couple reader mail bits before we get to the uh, departments at the end of the show. Um, Shlomo wants to know, is this the worst NHL officiating has ever looked, and can the NHL fix it? Do they even feel the need to fix it? We got into this a little bit with Marcia, so I will share with you a, a, a DM that came in from a, a player uh, to me, actually, during the Tampa-Columbus uh, game. Every game, it's insane how different and inconsistent it is. It's been terrible. Uh, so this is, you know, this is what the players are dealing with, too. And uh, the inconsistencies are tough. We saw a lot of penalties being called in qualification round. There's still a lot of penalties called here and there in the quarterfinal round. But, my God, like, again, it's just in an elimination game to have, you know, 100 penalties called on the team doing the eliminating and the other team, you know, is, is skating away scot-free. It's just, you know, it's pretty conspicuous. That's all I'm saying. I will answer to that last point. Do they even feel the need to fix it? And look, I haven't talked to Stephen Walkham, who's the head of officiating throughout this tournament, but I would guess there is not much of an appetite there from the NHL. Their company line would be, it's fine. Yeah. Stephen Fiddler wants to know, what are your thoughts about the lack of BLM action since the opening weekend of the playoffs? Can't say I'm surprised because this is what always seems to happen, but disappointed that there has been no follow-up messaging displayed since Dump of Speech. Uh, that has been conspicuous. They've sort of transitioned over to more of a NHL hockey heroes thing where they're honoring people in the community. And, and, and you know, there is some some aspects of social activism in, in the people that they're they're honoring, but it's not as forthright and, and blatant as it as it was when we're literally putting we skate for black lives in, in the corners of the rink um it's a good question uh it's a it's an important question that the nhl should probably answer but for me like the follow-through on on the opening weekend of games was always going to be what are you doing with your committees what are you doing with your funding how are you working with the hockey to diversity alliance what are you doing to now affect change inside the sport beyond some of the performative stuff that we've seen? And it's not to, to diminish performative stuff. Like we said at the time, um, representation matters and, and making a stand matters and inspiring people to, to know that you care matters. But then you got to follow through and really show that you care through investment and through, through action within the sport. No, totally well said. And, you know, not that 
it has to be one or the other, but the NHL put so much time, energy, and resourcing to put on this tournament. I don't think they put that much time, energy, and resourcing into the Black Lives Matter movement or the social justice movement that was happening in our country the last couple months. The fact that they were able to pull that off in the opening couple games was amazing, but I'd much rather them deep, um, you know, sink their teeth into something long-term. And I just want to give a shout-out to two teams already who have made tangible commitments, and that's the Washington Capitals and the New Jersey Devils and their ownership group, Harris Blitzer and Entertainment. Um, they've laid out their plan, and they said they're going to walk the walk and talk the talk. So we should look to them as examples going forward. Exactly. All right, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the segment each week where we probably could talk about Jack Edwards on a weekly basis, but don't. Uh, But this week we are. The venerable Boston Bruins announcer. Listen, in full disclosure. Venerable? A guy that I find endlessly entertaining. I don't mind Jack Edwards with the acknowledgement that sometimes he says very problematic and, and, and wrong-headed things. Uh, this past week he said, What NBC hasn't shown yet regarding the unfortunate injury to Andrei Svechnikov, uh, the Carolina wing playing hobby horse riding... Ch- I'll do it as Jack, Ad- Jack Edwards. Riding Chara on the back of the goal. You poke the bear. You take your chances. No one wanted to see Svechnikov hurt, but he bit off a little more than he could chew. Um, the problem is, is that it wasn't Svechnikov that was, quote, riding Chara as a hobby horse. That was Sebastian Ajo. The NBC announcers even said Ajo entangled with Chara in back of the net. I don't know if Jack Edwards thinks that Svechnikov should pay for Ajo's sins by having Chara take him out of the playoffs, uh, but but maybe that's the case. In any way, in any case, you know, a modicum of detective work before you start accusing people of, of setting the table for their own injury is all I'm asking. And I think everybody agrees it was just an awkward fall. It was tangled. But is there anybody in Stanley Cup playoff history who has had more dramatic back-to-back knockouts Last year's tournament, Andrei Svechnikov was punched by Alex Ovechkin, had to leave the playoffs this year, go down by Zdeno Chara. Like, that's two heavyweights right there. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not getting, you know, dinked and dunked out of the playoffs by some fourth liner. You know, if no. you're going to go, go, go by the hand of go a Hall of Famer. Yeah, go big. Yeah. Dateline, uh, time for puck headlines. Dateline, Dale Howardchuk. The Hall of Famer played with the Jets, Sabres, Flyers, probably missing some. Uh, died of cancer at 57, way too young, an absolute stone-cold legend in this game. Uh, I mentioned uh, on, on Twitter this week that as a kid growing up in Jersey during the 1980s, I didn't have a lot of access to watching the Western Conference, then the Campbell Conference, because of Sports Channel America. And so guys like him and Theo Fleury and other players that were huge stars in the 80s out in the West were sort of like legends in my mind because I would just read the box score and see the stat totals and, and then never get a really chance to see them. So when I finally got a chance to see Howard Chuck when he was playing with the with the Sabres, it was just like mythic. And he remained mythic in my mind. And so uh, just an amazing player, amazing guy. The, uh, the tributes to Howard Chuck this week have been outstanding. Uh, gone way too soon. Yeah, no, I love that. And to be honest, he was before my time, but I recommend everybody do what I do this week, which is read some of those tributes and learn more about them. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dateline Blackhawks. All right, Emily. What are we thinking about Chicago after this exit? Are you, as someone who's covered the Blackhawks, encouraged by the uh, experience the youngsters have gotten around the old core? Is it ch- this a chance where we might this might not be the end of the Blackhawks as we know them uh, and could be back for more? Or, or was this an aberration? No, I, I think this was an encouraging sign. I think everyone, though, is curious about if there are going to be changes this offseason from leadership. And really, it all begins with Danny Wirtz, who is the interim president right now, and he's the son of Rocky Wirtz. And I've talked to people in the organization. They don't know if he wants to do this full time, but if he does, that'll dictate does he keep Stan Bowman around. If Stan Bowman leaves, Jeremy Colleton's probably going to leave because Stan Bowman won't get a chance to uh, you know, hire a new coach. And we'll see from there. But from a player standpoint, I do think that Stan did a really good job of retooling on the fly and they've found some really good young players and now it's you know another problem for them it's hard to keep them around when they outplay outperform their contracts for sure uh dateline capitals they needed to avoid the sweep they did so by shaving heads and growing goatees or i should say manscaping goatees I mean, growing goatees would be a pretty you know testosterone filled uh, enterprise oh, to do that overnight uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov shaves his head, then then you know has a really good game. So there you go. So if the Capitals rally in this series, that means all Capitals fans have to either shave their heads or grow a goatee. Correct. One hundred percent. Honestly, it was amazing. I this team was lifeless for the first two and a half weeks of this tournament. They showed nothing, and then all of a sudden they have new haircuts and they looked like a damn good team. So there you have it. All right. Finally, Dateline Tim Hortons. Okay, so follow along. Tim Hortons decided last year that they were going to roll out a hockey-themed Barbie as part of a charitable initiative aimed at getting girls involved in the sport. She would wear a Tim Hortons jersey. It's your typical Barbie doll. Uh, They were only going to launch one doll, the white, typical, standard-issue Barbie doll. Amid the protests against anti-black racism in recent months, according to CBC, Tim Hortons decided to delay the launch to make the product more diverse. Uh, There will now be a black Barbie and a white Barbie, both with Tim Hortons jerseys, helmet, and hockey stick. Um, And both obviously looking like they've never had Tim Hortons, uh, which is another hallmark of the Barbie doll. Emily, we strike a blow for diversity courtesy of the Tim Hortons Barbie doll. I just have to say, whoever Tim Hortons has, either in-house or is paying for their um, marketing and advertising, knows what they're doing. Like, I think this is really smart. If you combine this with, remember, their Kenya Ice Lions, the hockey team, that commercial they had. They had them play with McKinnon and Sidney Crosby. Like, this is good stuff, and this is how you grow the game. There you go. Um, Also, their um, cream-filled Canadian maple donut uh, gives me the shakes because of all the sugar inside of it, and it's great. And then especially go Timbit, you, man. Go Timbit. Especially, especially when you chase it with an ice cap. Oh my god! Mm. The, I, it's it's like uh, it, I, I could I could probably run around the earth three times based on the sugar in those two items, and it's just fantastic. Wow, gotta get me one of those. Let's go yeah, to Canada. Uh, all right, that's the uh, that's the show for this week. Thanks to Jonathan Marshall for a great interview. Thanks to Damian Woody for a great interview, um, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you dig the show. Uh, head over to iTunes and uh, subscribe, download it, review it, rate it, tell a friend about it. Um, the more that you uh, share, 
And the more that you uh, rate and subscribe and all that, the happier our bosses are. And that's always a good thing. Uh, you can read my stuff at ESPN.com. You can listen to my other podcast, Puck Soup, which has uh, got the naughty words on it. Everything Greg said. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.